Welcome to This is Type 1, real life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. I'm Colleen Mitchell, and I've had type 1 diabetes for over 24 years. By day, I'm a process analyst in the power industry, and by night, I'm a writer, podcast host, and accountability coach. I'm passionate about type 1 diabetes education and showing others that this disease doesn't define me. I'm Jesse Tuggy, and I've had type 1 diabetes for about eight years now. I love hiking and painting, and I'm looking forward to working as an engineer after college. My diagnosis has inspired me to take control of my future and learn everything I can about it. Each week on the show, we'll talk about real life with type 1 diabetes, bring on cool people with connections to type 1, and above all, encourage you to understand that this disease doesn't have to hold you back. This isn't medical advice. This is life with type 1. Welcome to episode 60 of This is Type 1, real life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. Today, we're talking about how to educate your parents about type 1 diabetes. There's a big difference between parenting a child with type 1 and being that child, experiencing the day-to-day realities of it. A reminder for our audience, if you have any questions about type 1 diabetes, please leave us a comment or send an email to colleen at inspiredforward.com. We answer listener questions in future episodes. Also, we are now on Amazon Music. Amazon Music is a new podcast directory by Amazon. Well, they Amazon Music has been around for a while, but they just added podcasts and we're on there. So you can find us on Amazon Music just by searching This Is Type 1 at music.amazon.com. So I am up for the win this week. And like I mentioned in the episode last week, my A1C is now 5%. Also, as of this morning, my weight is down to 158.4, which is brand new low. They all seem to be new lows now. And I finished the reintroduction period on my elimination diet. So today I started combinations, which just means I'm doing kind of broader experiments with my food. I did find out that I have the same reaction more or less to erythritol. So I'm not really a big fan of erythritol anymore. And the sparkling ice had some mild negative effects. So I'm not going to continue drinking sparkling ice. I had my phase and it's all over. Well, I had my phase and it's now over. And Jessie's mom is actually kind of responsible for my face to begin with because she donated a whole bunch of sparkling ice to camp two years ago or a year. I guess it was last year. And uh, we just started drinking them like crazy. Jessie, what's your fail this week? So I will say that the sparkling ices are very addictive. Quitting them cold turkey was not fun for me because my mom doesn't work there anymore. We're just like, oh, we're not going to buy these anymore. So we stopped. And then cold turkey wasn't fun. Um, But I'm up for the fail this week. So this last couple of weeks have been an interesting senior start to senior year. So, and two weeks ago, we did our senior sunrise with COVID. That meant everybody was wearing masks and trying to social distance. I was wearing my mask and keeping distance from everyone, which is the best thing that I could have done and should be doing. But there were a lot of people who were taking their masks off and hugging. And like, I know it sounds like really wrong of me and like really like, oh, you shouldn't be doing this. But like right now with an international pandemic going on, I think that limiting myself to being around people and continuing wearing my mask is the best thing that I should be doing. Now, there was a missed opportunity to teach someone about diabetes and what COVID could look like for me. So I wanted to take a group picture with my friends and I was wearing my mask. I was the only one who had it on at the time. This girl, she's a friend of mine. She looks at me and she's like, why are you wearing your mask? I said, well, and then she cut me off. (laughs) And she then looks at my pump while I'm kind of starting to explain why I want to wear my mask. And she goes, oh yeah, you have to be extra careful, right? Looking at my pump and... Although it wasn't the worst diabetic remark that I've had, it definitely caught me off guard because I never would have expected it from her. So yes, I do have to be careful, but safety is first and you should be wearing a mask right now. And there are reasons why I don't want to take mine off. But the reason I'm counting this as a fail this week is because that was a missed opportunity to teach her about what it means to be a diabetic and what that looks like for me right now. And I want to say something in response to that but I can't remember what it was. I know. And we did like part of an episode on this too, where we explained what COVID is starting to look like for us. And like, 
Yeah. I think actually on the CDC website, or maybe not the CDC, but the Washington Department of Health or whatever, the numbers, like the death rate, the death count is actually very, very low and it's been flat for months. So yeah, there's reasons why people want to, there's reasons why people don't. And it sounds like you did a really good job. Oh, this is what it was. I remembered you did a really good job not caving to peer pressure. Yeah. Oh, I didn't think about that really. Yeah. With all the other girls in this picture, especially like taking pictures, girls kind of are weird about taking group pictures. Yes. The fact that you didn't take yours off because you still wanted to keep it on and that was your choice to keep it on. You did not cave to peer pressure and that I'm really proud of you for that. Thank you. I felt, yeah, it was, we did a class photo too with everybody who showed up and I would say about 80% of people took their masks off and we were standing like shoulder to shoulder. And that's not six feet. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. And I would just like to say this wasn't a school sponsored event because I feel like we can get into trouble for saying that it's not or saying that it is a school sponsored event right now. But it wasn't a school sponsored event. We were standing shoulder to shoulder. I kept my mask on the entire time. There was one photo that I did take my mask off for, but I've been hanging out with these girls and I knew where they've been and I knew like who they were around and I knew we all weren't infected. Because like we weren't showing any symptoms. I knew these people. And that was like the one photo that I took. Yeah. It's just personal level of comfort. Yeah. And that's what it was for me. I I just wasn't comfortable taking it off for most of the time. And like, you know, people stare at you and you're like, oh, why are you wearing your mask? Like, oh, that looks... I thought my mask looked cute. Like it went with my outfit and everything. So I just left it on. It was... It's an extra accessory. It's kind of sad though that we're now considering masks to be like cute accessories. I mean, at this point, I'm just going to put a happy spin on it. That's fair. Anyways, what's your hack? So the hack this week, if you don't have auto ship set up with your suppliers and your pharmacy, set reminders in your calendar or in a reminder app. I use Google Calendar. And this week, I had a reminder to confirm my pump supply order with Edge Park that I would have forgotten about if not for that reminder. Now, they would have sent me an email anyway saying please confirm your continue care order so that it ships on time. And then I would have gone in anyway, but I prefer having all of my reminders on my calendar and not have to look in my email just to see what I need to take care of and all that annoying stuff. So this episode is basically all Jesse. Jesse, take it away. So today we're going to talk about what we want our parents to know about diabetes and how to educate them on it. So this episode is going to be what things Colleen and I have learned that our parents might not know about since we both became really independent with our diabetes as we should over time, Uh, such on like what foods are the healthiest for us, how we feel about certain things, what we changed about our diabetic care since we took control. And we do have a special surprise at the end of this episode that we are revealing an upcoming project. In the works. I just want to add that in the works. Now, I do want to put a disclaimer at the beginning that I love my parents very much and they support me on a lot of my decisions. And I'm very open with them about how I feel about certain aspects of my life, including my diabetes and what I want to change. And we work together for it. So, this is how I do it basically, like how I educate them and how we make that change for me. I really don't hide away or shy away from telling my parents how we feel about things or how I feel about things with my diabetes. So the first one is food. For diabetics, low carb is better for blood sugar control and weight loss. There are healthy foods that also do have some carbs in them. Like you can't just have, you know, like fruits and vegetables, although you should limit the amount of fruits you're taking. Fruits is still good for you because they've got all those nutrients. Organic food doesn't necessarily mean healthier. And the feeling of how defeating it feels for diabetics when we gain weight and we haven't changed anything about our diets or lifestyles. Now, I'm going to go into how I did this. It took a very, very, very long time for my parents to understand what carb control looked like for me because we had to learn this together, both separately and together, realizing that doctors might not, not doctors, but dietitians might not have all the answers that fit our lifestyle. So it took a lot of years and a lot of research and a lot of open discussions at the dinner table about why I don't want to eat mashed potatoes, but I'm okay with eating 
peas and broccoli instead. So that's how I did that over years and years of open conversation. But for you, this might look completely different, meaning it could happen overnight where your parents just have that like realization, that aha moment of, oh, what can we do to make this better? So with that, opinions on our diabetes. I would love for them to realize what it feels like to be both low and high. What it is to be up all night shoving food or insulin into my body when I don't want to be up and I have a test at 7 a.m. What it feels like to wear a patch. What doctor's appointments are like from my side of the room rather than the parents. And the connection of what diabetic friends are like. So... What it feels like to be low or high, this is just, I know something that can't happen, but it would be nice. Shoving food and insulin into me at night. My parents used to do that with me when I was little. And I always know I can go run to one of their rooms and they would always with open arms welcome me and just take care of me in the middle of the night if they needed to. So basically, I know my mom, if I needed her or my dad, if I needed him, they would be there for me just if like... I remember one time, I think this was last year, and it was like finals week. It was the day before my last final. My brother was up downstairs, like blasting music. I couldn't get to sleep. I kind of had like a freak out. I was like, I can't sleep. Da, da, da. It's midnight. Go to bed. You're bare out. I was like yelling at him. And she's like, my mom was like, what's your blood sugar? Are you okay? And, like just trying to like help me sort out what was going on. And I was just like, I'm really, really really tired. I really need to get some sleep. I've been stressing about this for six months. Also, my blood sugar is slightly low. Like I just kept adding and adding on. And so finally she was like, okay, Charlie, go to bed. And I shoved juice in my mouth and then I went to bed and it was fine. I got an A on the exam anyway. So that was a lot. But what it feels like to wear a patch. So my mom actually did another cool thing was when I first got my insulin pump when I was about eight or nine, she got an insulin pump too, but it wasn't an insulin pump. It was a pump filled with saline syrup, like saline. And every time she ate something or had carbs, she would put in for those carbs. So we did this for about two weeks and she got the patch put on her you know, she tested my blood sugar and she'd be like, oh, okay, I'm going to put in this many blood sugar. Like we did everything, not together, but like I helped her go through what it's like to be a diabetic. And I remember at the end of the week, she was like, wow, I never knew you went through this much stuff. So if that's ever something that you and your family want to do, talk to your doctor about that or your physician and they will try their best to help you with that because that's what my care team did was they helped me and they helped my mom and us to like connect with this. So it was really, really good. Doctor's appointments from my side of the room. So with this, I know they can't ever experience this because they're not diabetics. Just like they can't experience what it's like to be high or low. And, you know, although doctor's appointments aren't all bad and they aren't all good, they're really emotionally traumatizing at times. So I don't think they'll understand the full scope of it. Even though they like they go to doctor's appointments and they've got their own stuff going on, but I don't think they'll understand like the extremities and like the emotional impact it has on us sometimes. And the connection that diabetic friends have. So they will never get to know like or bond over like a high blood sugar or a shared low snack or you know any of this like really like panther camp like my mom was a counselor, but she, again, she didn't know like, oh, I've got diabetic mom friends. I don't have diabetic friends or like she's got hyperthyroidism. So she can't be like, oh, I'm going to have hyperthyroidism friends. And like, it just, it's not so, a part of her life that she's going to ever experience that I wish she would. And I wish my dad could too. Like, I think that would be really cool. So the opportunities, giving back to the community, what the support system is like, the fun runs and the cool giveaways. So giving back to the community, I do this in a way with Panther Camp that my mom did. And she was a Panther Camp counselor while I was a CIT, which is really, really cool. 
because she was in a different group and I was in a different group, but we would always sit together at lunch for like this one week out of the summer. And we would just be like, oh, what are you eating? Oh, what are you eating? How many carbs are you eating? So that was fun. And I give back by doing that and doing this podcast and all this amazing like opportunities that we've been given. And then the support system is like, is also this podcast for me because it's giving me the opportunity to express what diabetes is like for me and also like understanding that I am not alone and that I have a huge, huge support system that runs to Colleen. Like she could be in another state, but I could text her at any time and just be like, hey, I need your opinion. And she would help me out and she would work through it with me. And then the fun runs. So I love running. The fun runs are like the diabetic walks, the the diabetic runs, the raising awareness, the raising money and like getting to exercise and be a, a kid and feeling like a normal person while also getting to exercise and not doing like normal th- like people would consider normal things like oh we're going to go run with diabetes and not go low like to me, that's a big deal. To other diabetics that I've run with, that's a big deal. But to other people, it's just like, I'm not getting, I don't understand. So that's that's a pretty cool opportunity that I wish my parents got to have. Or yeah, my parents got to have. And then the cool giveaways. So we haven't done a lot of cool giveaways. Or I haven't gotten a lot. But at all of the diabetic events that we get do, like fun runs and walks we always get like diabetic bracelets or show your pride with diabetes or something like t1d jdrf like something like that and people don't realize how big that is also when we do or i haven't done one yet but when people do the fun runs you get a shirt yeah and shirts like they're useful they are um at the i think it was the jdrf type one nation summit last november there was the Beat the Bridge booth. Yeah. And they had shirts for Beat the Bridge for, I think it was, I can't remember if it was this year or last year, but it was basically you could pre sign up for the race and they would donate, like they would match your donation to the stuff and they would got a, you got a shirt. And I picked up a shirt. I didn't run because, you know, COVID, but also I stopped running because I don't like it. <laughs> oh, oh, that's another good reason. But no, I think I have like four or five beat the bridge shirts at this point just from like doing it over the years and like my mom hates those shirts like the ones they give out she hates them she's like this doesn't feel right i feel like i'm being choked blah 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 but they're the and, technical shirts right the like the breathable yeah yeah, yeah. but those they have are, a really high collar on her yeah so it just it doesn't feel right it feels like a, a tight t-shirt so she always gave hers to me so i just have like night shirts and beat the bridge like at the gym and meeting people is really cool they're like oh i did that i'm like oh really do you have diabetes and then most everybody says no i just did it for fun and i was like oh do you know what diabetes is no i just wanted to run i was like "Mm, okay okay never mind can't talk to you at gym bye so moving on the technology so i would love for my parents to experience what it's like to be on a new pump the importance of my CGM and why I waited to wear my CGM until I was like 12 or 13. I know I wrote eight or nine in here, but I just didn't wear it frequently enough for me to like start to count it until I was 12 or 13. So the feeling of a new pump for those diabetic parents is like the feeling of a brand new phone. Like you got it, you got the phone, you're setting it up, it's yours and no one else touches it. That is your new pump. That's that feeling, like the pride that you get with your new pump. The importance of a CGM is like having a phone with headphones. Like you can listen to your music. You can talk to people on the phone. You can do all this cool stuff in private while you're holding your phone and doing other things. Multitasking. Now, the CGM is kind of like your headphones. You really need it to make phone calls and text at the same time. It's so, so vitally important that it's really hard for me to explain. And Colleen, you want to jump in here at any time and help me explain the importance of my CGM? (laughs) Yeah, sure. So for me, CGM, (laughs) 
I was going to talk about this later, but I can just do it now. I did not get on CGM until 2015. So that was five years ago. That was 20 years with type 1 diabetes that I did not have a CGM. Now, they didn't have CGM in 95 through like, I think 2007, because 2007, I think, is when the first Dexcom sensor came out. And uh, I talked to Adam Brown about that in um, episode 55. So you can go back and listen to that one because he was on the Dexcom original CGM. So he has over, I think, like 18,000, maybe 19,000 hours of CGM time. Yeah. And the point that I'm trying to make with this is CGM is data. And when we make decisions without the data, then we're far more likely to be going up and down rates that we don't like. So if you, if you think about it, when you check your blood sugar in the middle of the night, it might say 160, but you have no idea if that's going up or down. And if you choose to correct a 160 in the middle of the night, and this is talking to the parents here, and you don't know what the number was before, or you don't know what the trend is, then you might risk sending them too low or too high, just depending on what you do. So with having a CGM, that means you have the trend line there and you can see where it's coming from, where it's going, and what you should do Like instead of just guessing. The Dexcom G6 CGM is FDA approved to make corrections with, so you can use it as a treatment decision. And kind of case in point for this, this morning on my the new uh, reintroduction thing for, for combinations for my food plan... I tried a new keto cereal and it turned out that it skyrocketed my blood sugar really, really far. It went up to about 200 and didn't come down for like a couple hours. And when it did, I was able to see the little tiny roller coaster that my blood sugar was doing and have Smarties to correct it. And being able to see it go up and what it was doing when it comes back down that's really valuable for me. So it tells me exactly what my blood sugar is doing in response to this keto cereal, what I should do ahead of time to correct for it. So tomorrow when I have it again, I'm going to actually bolus for the total carbs plus the total protein, which I don't usually do. But this is all experimentation and I wouldn't be able to do this without a CGM. So that's kind of my current state of thoughts on CGM because it's so valuable. Yeah. So that's the point that I was trying to make that I really couldn't figure out what metaphor to use for that. And then the reason I waited was because I was not a fully grown person until I was 12, 13, 14. Meaning I was about half as tall as I am now, I would say when I was diagnosed. I was really, really tiny as a kid and it hurt. CGMs like being that small and like the bit, they used to call it the harpoon. They used to tell us that it was the harpoon. And this is the Medtronic N light sensors, right? Yeah, this is the really old ones that you won't find on the market anymore because they won't make them. Right. There is so I waited so long to get on CGM. I was so I didn't get on the CGM until I was 22. And I waited that long because I didn't want to have multiple sites on my body, like rotating sites. And that was the stupidest reason ever. It's really not that big of a deal to, to rotate two different sites. And now that I have the Tandem T-Slim, it integrates with the Dexcom, which means I'm not carrying two devices around. But but yeah, I mean, I waited until I was an adult for a really stupid reason. And your reason is valid. And we have still seen bunches of kids with Dexcom and, and like but the Guardian sensors on mm-hmm. at camp. So nowadays, the CGMs are basically painless to put in. Yeah, I don't feel it anymore. The needle's like half as big as it was. And just also it's a lot less scary for kids, I would say. Like they don't make the big kerthunk when it hits your skin anymore. Well, the Dexcom G6 kind of does. Okay, well, my Guardian doesn't. And I'm on the Medtronic stuff. And so they're, to me, they're a lot more user-friendly. Yeah, the Dexcom G6, I want to call it an implantation device, but it's just an insertion device. It's huge. It is a huge waste of plastic and it's single use. It is enormous. And there are videos on... You can search this on YouTube. There's videos of kids who see these things and they're like, that looks really scary to put on. And then they do it and they're kind of like flinching, waiting for it to hurt. And then the doctor or the nurse or whatever presses the button and it goes in and it's, it's, it's almost instantaneous. It's so fast. Yeah. And it, does, it, hurts. it doesn't hurt at all for me. Yeah. But the light for me being eight or nine, it really hurt. Like it hurt to go in. It hurt to take out. It hurt to wear. I couldn't bend over. Like I couldn't be a child. 
So that's why I waited. I was like, I'm going to wait until they come up with something better because I'm not doing this. And I did. And now what I have works really, really well for me. So yeah, I'm, I'm really happy with it. And it's very cool. So moving on, the importance of water, quick rocks around the block, support from teachers and equal representation in media, meaning movies, shows, plays, and social media. So the importance of water and importance of quick walks around the block or quick rocks in general would be to maintain high blood sugars, but not maintain high blood sugars, but to main, to help bring it down. And it really just helps to go on like a five minute walk to clear your brain and just be okay. And like realize that this is not the end of the world. And it just helps you to focus more. Support from teachers for me is really, really, really valuable because I've had teachers who are just like, oh, is your phone or is your pump a phone? Why do you have a phone in my class? Oh, why, why are you wearing, why is it going off in the middle of AP? Like teacher, people don't get it unless you have a student that actually has diabetes and they won't get it until they start experiencing it because they don't understand. (laughs) So for me, my teachers supporting me and finally like after like three or four weeks or even a month of me being diabetic and in their class, they really start to get it at that point. So I would say with that one, just learn a lot of patience. It's a really good and important time to like teach your teachers about it, teach your classmates about it. So when your pump goes off and your class looks around and your te- your sub or your, even your teacher is just like, what was that? Whose phone was that? Your, even your classmates can go, oh, that was so-and-so's pump because they're low or high and you can make sure you're okay while also not being completely embarrassed by your teacher and feeling like you're lesser than them because they called your pump a pager, which is always fun. That's 90s technology, guys. Yeah. It's the 2000s. Let's move on. 2020s now. (laughs) We have a bad start to 2020s. Yes. (laughs) Equal representation in the media, movies shows, social media, and plays. I have never seen an accurate depiction of diabetes ever. And this used to make me be like, I really, really don't want to be diabetes today. I don't want to be a diabetic. Now that I'm older, I'm like, I should be embracing this. This is amazing. Why would I want to change this? Why would I want to change anything about my lifestyle? So it used to make me feel alone. But now that I've grown and now that I've started this podcast, I realize I'm not. Like, there are so many diabetics out there. Who's that one actress? She was she played in a movie with uh, Dick Van Dyke. It was a show. It was a really old show. Mary Tyler She's, Moore. Yes, Mary Tyler Moore. That was the one example that my parents could give me and explain to me that I was like famous people. Not that I want to be famous, but like have somebody to relate to when I was younger. Also, Nick Jonas has it. Yes. Just saying, you guys. And I'm also saying if somebody has a contact for him to get him on here, please let me know. I would love, love to grow this so much that Nick Jonas would be on our show. That is my one dream for this show. Like after that, I can quit. But until then, I want this so badly. But yeah, I didn't have, like, I grew up knowing that Nick Jonas was diabetic, but I never really understand, like, oh, I'm like him too. And I just didn't know. I was eight or eight, nine years old. I didn't have a phone. I didn't really have a computer. Like, my world was small. Now my world's big, but like, there's not good representation of what diabetes in the modern day looks like, even with shows or movies. And we did an episode on that. It's episode 25, Type 1 Diabetes in Pop Culture. And in that episode, we talk about which movies like talk about type 1, which movies and TV shows portray type 1 diabetes and everything wrong with it. So if you want to have a kind of a good laugh about what they're doing wrong in in the movies, you can go back and listen to episode 25. Also, I also want to reference this one episode of Criminal Minds. And if somebody can find it, DM me on my Instagram and let me know what episode it is so I can go back and watch it. But it's a Criminal Minds episode and this girl gets kidnapped, right? And she gets, you know, there's drugs in her system that aren't good for her. And the reason she gets saved is because she's diabetic. Her body metabolizes medications completely different than 
a normal human being. And that's how she escapes is because her diabetes makes her metabolism go faster, which makes ketamine, a horse tranquilizer, be metabolized and go through her system faster. Like what? It was so stupid. I don't know why I think about it on episode 25, but I just, oh, I was so mad last night. I thought of it. I was like, oh my God, I hate the show so much now. I'm like what? Yeah. Seriously. How does this get past quality control with the writers? I don't know. <laughs> Are we just entertainment value to you guys? Honestly, I mean, though, it's really hard to to accurately portray type 1 diabetes in any kind of media like pop culture because it's boring. It is boring to portray unless it's a plot point or unless it's something like that where it's a reason for escaping ketamine or whatever because yeah, that totally works. There's nothing, no, there's no drama about it. There's nothing dramatic about having type 1 diabetes. No, it's (laughs) the boring disease. You don't want it, but it's boring. That is basically our goal in life is to be boring diabetics. For all you endocrinologists out there, we want to be boring diabetics. Yeah. I don't want to be entertaining at my doctor's appointments. Anyways. Okay. Off topic. But so this next list is a list of things that I want my kids to know about whether they're diabetic or if they're not. This next list is certain things that I want my future kids to know about. I would like to have kids one day. I don't know if that is going to change in the future or anything, but if I ever do have kids or if I do decide to adopt or foster or if, you know, if I get a dog and like, or a diabetic dog, then this would be cool. This would be applicable to that. So one, I want them to know that it's okay to be different, that diabetes is okay in the world and any other things that come up that make them unique, that I'm okay as mom, that I'm okay, that diets actually work differently for different people. So keto to one person might just not inhibit the best behaviors or the best outcomes that they want. While a high carb, high fiber diet might do the complete opposite and do what they want. So it should be your job to explore what you want and go for it. So I, I do want to clarify though that high carb to us means high in like really starchy vegetables, including potatoes, sweet potatoes. I guess if you call them yams. So all of the high high starch carbs or high starchy vegetables is what we mean when we're talking about carbs. We're not talking about stuff like sugar and flour or pizza and cereals because those really don't do good things for anybody. Yeah. What a healthy relationship with food looks like. Not to be scared of doctors that they will always have support from me. And if they feel like they can't get that support from me, then we'll go somewhere else and we'll go find that for them. Why I have this podcast. Hopefully it'll continue for many, 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 many more years to come. So I want to explain to them why I have this and do what I do. And that my pump is a lot easier than the alternative of doing shots. So I don't want to do shots. (laughs) And that is it for my list. So let's get Colleen's going. I did talk a little bit about some of these, but I'll touch on a few that we didn't. One of them is that when I was a kid, my mom in particular helicoptered a lot. And by that, I mean, she would always be asking what my blood sugar is. And I know my mom listens to this podcast. So hi, mom. Love you. But she would always ask about my blood sugars. Uh, Sometimes it would immediately be my blood sugar is what's wrong with me instead of it's anxiety or stress or something else, it would be go check your go check your blood sugar, even though I had already known my blood sugar was fine. I finally got my mom to stop helicoptering when I went to college. Took that long. And now it's kind of funny because she's a little bit out of touch with what I do for my control. And so when I'm visiting with her, then it's kind of fun to show her this is how I put my CGM on. This is what my blood sugar looks like on my pump. And I get to show her how thin my range is on my Dexcom and how flat my blood sugars usually are. So she's pretty impressed with that whenever I show her. I talked about why I didn't have a CGM when I was a kid. I didn't get a CGM until I was 22, which I wish I had gotten a CGM earlier now, but can't go back and change it. That's life. I think what I would also want them to know about is closed loop technology. So nowadays with the Tandem T-Slim X2 and Dexcom G6, that is closed loop with control IQ. So it turns off insulin when you go low and it gives you insulin when you go high. And with Medtronic's auto mode, it does basically the same thing. Jesse, can you kind of explain a little bit more about auto mode? Yeah. So auto mode is a closed loop system and they're coming out with a new one 
later, hopefully this next year or so, where I don't have to put in for my blood sugars. They correct on their own. If it goes to 300, it'll give me microboluses until I go down to in range. If I go low, it'll turn off my basal rate automatically. So it's basically your blood sugar reading to your pump and your pump being independent and correcting your blood sugars. Now I still have to put in for carbs and that's what this next pump is going to be where I don't have to do that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And then there's another closed loop system. It's not FDA approved and you can hear more about that in episode 55 because Adam Brown uses it. He's a DIYer. So going back to the concept of food, because during this podcast and in the last four years that I've been doing low carb, I have gotten a lot of understanding around how food affects me and how food affects my diabetes. So my my sister likes saying that when we were growing up, we ate weird things like powdered milk because of me. And I don't share this memory in particular. So I'm not entirely sure what she's talking about. But in any case, I had a high carb like diet in my household when I was growing up. We had pancakes, waffles, pasta, spaghetti, mashed potatoes, uh, chicken and real dumplings. So the chicken and dumplings that my mom made were so good. Can't have them now. Uh, homemade bread, like friendship bread, Amish bread, like real bread and a bread machine bread, orange juice, milk, tortillas, especially homemade tortillas. I made a lot of those in college. That was not a good idea. Uh, beans and rice. So like tortillas, beans and rice. If you think about that, it's like going out to Mexican restaurants. Porta Vallarta was our go-to for birthday dinners. And I would always get whatever I got. And it always comes with rice and beans as the side. Not to mention the chips when you get to the table. Like basically all of the standard American diet high carb foods, we had that. And they all messed up my blood sugars. But because I was on that diet and I thought that was normal, I thought messed up blood sugars were normal. And my parents didn't even realize that at the time. So they were also under the impression that if I can bowl this for it, then I can eat it. Except, you know, you know candy and stuff like that. We did try the sugar free candy uh, at some point, but. I'm pretty sure those had the worst of the sugar alcohols in them because I was on the toilet just getting rid of those out of my body because they were not great. Oh yeah, they were disgusting. They screwed me up for weeks. And that's actually kind of how erythritol is affecting me now, which is unfortunate, but I'm not really that upset about it because I did recently find out about a different low-carb chocolate called Chalk Zero. And I tried a couple squares of Chalk Zero yesterday and it is pretty darn good. It tastes pretty good and didn't have any effects on me. And my blood sugar went a tiny bit up and then it came back down. So that was nice. So something else that I would like, not just my parents, but parents in general to know for type 1 diabetes is that if you feed your kid a bowl of Fruit Loops with milk for breakfast, they are going to experience a spike in their blood sugar regardless of how much or how far in advance you give the insulin. There's just no way to catch it. Our bodies were not created to handle these huge concentrated doses of sugar and carbohydrates and these huge concentrated doses of insulin that we give when we inject or when we bolus. I mean, even non-diabetics experience insulin spikes when they eat these high-carb foods. We're just not designed to do this. So I think if I could travel to September 26th, 1995, which was one week after I was diagnosed, and this is just to allow the shock to settle... I would tell my parents that the best thing they could possibly do for me was is to raise me on low carb and to let me be 83 because 83 is the perfect blood sugar for everybody. Well, they wouldn't have had access to the research that's come out in the last 25 years. My dad was an engineer and I think he would have taken that as a challenge to, to learn about the true impact of carbohydrates and insulin on the body. So back to let me be 83. This is actually a movement by the Rivera Foundation, which is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. And it's basically all based on the fact that kids do not need carbs to survive. Kids can be perfectly healthy eating low carb. And as Let Me Be 83 says, normal blood sugars are the leading cause of nothing. I love that. You don't get anything bad from having normal blood sugars. And I'm going to quote something from their website. They say, we advocate for an alternative diabetes management regimen anchored in nutrition and the proper use of insulins that allow people with diabetes to achieve healthy blood glucose levels. We believe this is an important goal as elevated glucose levels are associated with complications of diabetes. And another thing they say is the law of small numbers says that big inputs make big mistakes 
And small inputs make small mistakes. If you're going to be dosing for big numbers of carbs, you're going to see big swings in the blood sugar. And this was true for me. And I see it every year at diabetes camp. We see kids coming to camp with high blood sugars from high carb breakfasts, like Fruit Loops, with high doses of insulin on board. And then they spend a lot of time running around outside, sometimes crashing from the insulin and sometimes going even higher. Sometimes it ruins their whole day because they have to sit in the lodge and drink water to bring the ketones down. It's just not fun. So that's really important because food is where everything starts. Especially for us as type 1 diabetics, we need to understand how food affects our bodies. We need to understand how our bodies like respond to all of this and what insulin we need to take to make sure that we don't go too high or too low. And this is all self-experimentation. What works for me isn't going to work for Jesse, isn't going to work for you. You have to figure it out on your own. Well, not on your own. You have, every, you have the entire diabetes community to support you, but you have to figure out what works for you and what works for your kids. Anything to add there? <laughs> nope. You basically summed it up. I mean, you're not alone, but you're alone at the same time in the way that you need to find what works for you. Not what works for me will work for you or not what works for you will work for me. Right. And that's why I don't like saying or dictating what other people should do for their their diets. I do advocate for low carb, not necessarily the ketogenic because that is very strict at 20 net carbs. Because I I don't do strict keto. I do like low carb, less than 50 net grams. It just that's just what, what works for me. Yeah. Like right now I'm happy being at less than like 70 or 80 a day. Like that's where I'm comfortable with because I'm running around and like sometimes at work I get hungry. I'm like, okay, well I need to allow for that. So just because it works for me and Colleen doesn't mean that it's going to work for you. Yep. So other things I would want my parents to know about are mood swings, emotions, and anxiety. Also burnout. So mood swings, emotions, anxiety, and burnout. Those are all the mental, the emotional aspect of type 1 diabetes. And that wasn't really addressed a lot in my household growing up. I didn't know that anxiety was a thing, like legit a thing that could possibly happen to me until I was an adult, until I was in my first job and I was anxious like all the time. It was great. As it turns out, anxiety runs in my family. And I had no idea until like a couple months ago. But mood swings and changing emotions, they don't have to be connected to type 1 diabetes. We can be stressed out, we can be anxious, and it would have nothing to do with our blood sugars. So something that kind of irritated me a lot when I was growing up was the first reaction to, um, to my behavior being contrary to what it should have been, or if it was a little bit negative, or I was having, having maybe a little bit of an attitude. The first reaction was, go check your blood sugar. And for type 1 diabetics... Sometimes it's not about the blood sugar. Sometimes we're just pissed off. And sometimes we just want to have that sympathy, that empathy that comes from another human being experiencing these emotions. It doesn't always have to be about the blood sugars. So if you think your kid is acting out because of their blood sugars, be careful about asking them to go check their blood sugars first all the time. So I know it's out of love and you guys are worried about your kids. Just... Think about it from their perspective. If the first response you have all the time to a negative emotion is go check your blood sugar, then you might need to check and see what you think is actually causing their emotions. If it's because it's not always their blood sugar. That's kind of my piece on that. <laughs> so the way I would do this is we my parents and I figured out a way to be like, okay, I'm gonna bring something up that's probably really snappy and sassy or I feel bad and it doesn't have anything to do with my blood sugars is I would test. And this wasn't like my parents telling me to do this. I would test and tell them, Hey, my blood sugars, this, 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 like 136, which is in range is perfect basically. And I would say, Hey, my blood sugar is 136, but I'm not okay. But sing it. Yeah. Like I, my blood sugar is fine. I'm physically fine, but something is up besides that, that is making me not okay. That's a really good way to do it. I wish I had had that tactic in my tool belt when I was your age. <laughs> okay. The last one that I want to talk about is weight, weight gain, and weight loss. As people with type 1 diabetes, it can feel impossible to lose weight. I know because I've been there. At my highest weight, I was 225 pounds and I'm 5'8", which means I was clinically like medically obese. And as of this morning, my BMI is actually normal, which is weird because I've never been a normal BMI as an adult. But it took me four and a half years doing low carb to get there. When I was a kid, 
I first figured out that I had extra weight when I was in fourth grade. Like I figured out that I had kind of a tire around my middle. That was a memory I'll never forget. But since then, I've been conscious of it. And so were my parents. And whenever I got my weight done, when I was going into my endocrinology appointments with my pediatric endo, I would dread stepping on the scale to see what the number, what the number was. Because I knew it would always go up. And I knew I had no idea how to get, back, get it back down. And nobody could tell me how to do it. So I would try to figure out all of these things on my own. And none of it worked. None of it worked. None of it worked. Until I finally just bit the bullet and was like, Okay, I need to try this keto thing. And so then I, once I did the low carb, then it started dropping off. And then it proved to me that I, could, that I could do it. But I never had any of that help from my parents or my doctors when I was growing up. So like I mentioned earlier, food is the start. Food is where everything starts. Because insulin will help you hold on to weight. It'll help you gain weight. We need to keep insulin levels low. Not non-existent. That's what diabulimia is. We need to keep insulin as low as possible, as close to a normal person as possible, because that's when weight loss happens. Being overweight as a type 1 diabetic does not need to be normal. And we've made it normal. So I want all of the parents out there to know that if your kid is heavier than they should be, consider cutting out some carbs. Consider cutting out the sugar and the flour. Consider going low carb. Talk to your doctor if you want to, but consider it. Because food is the source of these problems. And weight does not go away with calorie counting or with low-fat diets or with the standard American diet. That's just not how weight goes away. Those don't work. We need to figure out how to do it for ourselves and not listen to things like the American Diabetes Association and even JDRF. They still advocate for a high-carb diet. We need to listen to alternative viewpoints in this field. So weight, especially as a type 1 diabetic, being overweight should not be normal. I, I can't stress enough how important this is to me because I have lost, as of this morning, 66 pounds doing low-carb. And when I was at my highest weight, I thought that I would never be able to be you know, less than 200. So just being at a normal weight for me is really weird. You look great. <laughs> Thank you. I keep going back on my uh, history and where I track my weight to be like, oh, how much did I weigh last year at this point? Oh, how much did I weigh like two years ago? Oh, how much was I like a month ago? <laughs> it's just like so fun to go back and look at that. Uh, oh, I bet. It's like, since I haven't been in the office in six months, it's, it would be, it'll be interesting when I go back in and be like, I am a new weight. I am like 15 pounds lighter than the last time you guys saw me. Because <laughs> going in like that, it's a shock because they haven't seen you in so long. All right. I think we are done with the educating our parents bit, which means it's time for our diabetes spotlight. And our spotlight this week is on a phone app called Happy Bob. Happy Bob connects your CGM and turns diabetes management into rewarding and positive experiences. Their mission says, we want to help people with diabetes to succeed in daily diabetes care by providing positive and rewarding experiences for managing their own health. We do this by combining gamification machine learning, and real-time personal health data available through sensors and wearables, creating a rewarding loop that turns diabetes management into opportunities of fun moments and better health. Now, Happy Bob is really more for entertainment value and should not be used to make treatment decisions. And something to know is that the target range is set for 72 to 180 on the app, and it's currently not adjustable. But the developers have said that customizing the target range is a feature that they're working on. I think they're only connecting to Dexcom, but I'm not sure. So we'll post some screenshots of Happy Bob in the show notes. And there's also a snarky Bob setting. The app provides commentary on your blood sugars. And I just always love seeing the screenshots of Happy Bob in the Type 1 Diabetes Facebook groups. And every time I see one, I'm like, when is Android coming? <laughs> because I really want this. So we actually have our one of our first social media shout outs this week. So... Last week in my DMs, I actually owe this person an apology live on the podcast because I didn't think this fall through very much. So last week in my DMs, or a couple of weeks ago now, I got a message sent to me and I didn't know who it was. I thought it just said, hi, how are you? I uh, just the generic like, oh, I'm here. And I was just like, I don't know who you are. I'm not going to respond. So I didn't respond. I didn't delete it, but I didn't respond. So I am very sorry for if I made you feel like I put you off somehow because I did not. So big apology to him. 
And right now he's actually his first year in college and he's in India, which is so cool. Like our podcast is reaching so many people all across the globe now. So that's, that's pretty incredible to me. So big thank you and big support to him. So with the permission that I did get from him, his user is not from his username, but his name is Dahanje S. And if I butchered that, another big apology. I'm very sorry. <laughs> it could also be pronounced Donna J. But again, unless you get the pronunciation directly from him, he might, that might be wrong too. So sorry if I butchered it. Too. Yes. <laughs> but thank you so much for sending me a shout out and just texting me. I'm always here for diabetics in need. Well, not in need, but you need advice. I'm here for it. I'm ready to help you guys out. Our question this week. So what do you want to tell your parents about living with diabetes? What would be the most helpful for you growing up if they had known it? Meaning like for Colleen, her most helpfuls would be, you know, diets, American tradition. Mine would probably be the importance of a good school teacher and how much they support you. Oh yeah. Mine would definitely be a combination of food, weight, and CGM. So yeah. those three big ones. Yeah. All right. So you guys have been listening all this whole episode to hear a big announcement, right? We are proud to announce the bonus episodes. So this is something that we are starting. The bonus episodes are going to be 15 minute episodes with fun adventures, not edited a lot, um, little mini podcasts and there's not necessarily going to be a schedule for this. It's just for fun and it won't be like our regular episodes. And that is it for this episode of This Is Type 1. You can find the show notes at inspiredforward.com slash episode 60. That's the number 60. And if you have an idea for an upcoming episode, please leave us a comment or send an email. You can get straight to our podcast page by going to thisistype1.com. Our music is by Joseph McDade. I'm on all social media as at Inspired Forward and our email is Colleen at InspiredForward.com. And I'm on Instagram as at JJ underscore Crystal K-A-T. Please feel free to send me questions or comments you have about type 1 diabetes or about the show. And as of right now, if you text me the phrase T1D and let me know that you're from the podcast, that would be great because this is a new system that I'm going to be trying out. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends, your family, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts since that really helps other people find us. And also, if you have guest requests, please let me know. Our guest roster is currently booked through January. So if you have anybody who wants to come on, it'll be a few months, but we would like to get those names. And be sure to listen next week when we talk with my endocrinologist, Becky Blodgett, about the role of cortisol in functional medicine and type 1 diabetes management. Becky has taught me so much in the two decades I've known her, so I'm really excited to bring her on the show. Remember, you control your diabetes. It doesn't control you. Hey, if you like what you're listening to on this podcast, you have to join us in the Half Dead Pancreas Club. It's my private community where you'll connect face-to-face with other people with type 1 diabetes get personalized emotional support, and learn how to handle anything T1D throws at you. Join us over at inspiredforward.com community. I can't wait to see you there.